morning, Living Stones. It's great to be worshiping with you guys today. I'm excited to be able to share with you. Um, it's going to be a, a great morning. We had a, a wonderful time first service, and I'm uh, thankful to have all of you here for second service today. Um, I, I wanted to uh, do two things right now, and, and unfortunately, um, uh, Meredith is out of the room, but yesterday we had our Kickstart Superstart retreat um, for our fourth and fifth, fifth graders on Friday night and Saturday, and uh, and they just had a great time, you know, spending time with one another, growing in their faith. They, you know, had worship games. And so I just wanted to just thank, you know, Jen, Meredith. Um, and then we had a number of volunteers that gave up their Friday evening and all day Saturday. Kyle and Lacey Stork, Colleen O'Rourke, Dan Thompson, uh, Andrea Kirkpatrick. I just appreciate you guys so much just investing in our kids. Can we just give all of them a big hand? I tell you, we, we have a, a great, a great, great group of not just staff and elders, but also just people that are willing just to pour in and invest their lives into this next generation. I'm just thankful for all of them. And I also just wanted to say one final thing real quick before we get into our message. Um, if you were here for first service last Sunday, uh, you were greeted at the front door by an ambulance. Um, uh, it just a, a few minutes before first service began last week, um, Eric Sinecki, one of our drummers here, um, had a seizure out in the foyer. He fell, he hit his head, and, and it was really kind of a scary situation for uh, a little bit. Um, but it was also an incredibly beautiful one as well. I, I, Eric and I talked a couple times this week, and, um, and I told him, I, I said, I so badly wanted to, like, take a picture in the moment, although it would have, like, felt highly inappropriate and kind of weird, like, taking a picture of what was going on. But, but it was such a, a beautiful picture of what a church family does for one another. It, it, it was just a, a really beautiful moment. And I talked with Eric. He gave me permission to share this with you. Um, but Eric has talked to me a number of times over the last number of months. He's just been going through a really difficult time, a really uh, difficult time in his life, and he has often felt like he has nobody in his life who really cares for him, that is there for him, that loves him. And it was such a, a beautiful picture last Sunday that, you know, when, when, he, when he had had this seizure, like he was surrounded by people that genuinely love and care for him. Um, you know, his, his church family was there for him in his most vulnerable moment. Jim was there holding his head and literally cleaning blood off the carpet. Um, Jimmy Kenyon, Katie Barrett were there with him, Vern Hostetler. There was a number of just people that were surrounding him in, in his time of need. And, and it was just such a, a beautiful embodiment of what church should be. You guys have heard me talk about our church family. Um, I, I've used that verbiage over and over again since I first came here in 2019. And, and this was it. You know, when... when one of, our, one of our own was in need. Like, our, our church family dropped everything we were doing to surround, help, support, and care for one of our own. And it was just such a, a neat thing. And, and even if you weren't here for second service, even if you weren't in the foyer um, with him, we, we asked people just to kind of hang out outside or down by the kids' wing just to give uh, him space and, and the paramedic space as well. And, and I just want to say just well done, church. I mean, you, you, I, I was so proud of, yeah, I, I really was. I, I was so proud of, of just the way our church family came together, and it, it's exactly what church should be. 
and what, what, we, what we participate in together as, as a family. And so I just wanted to say thank you to, to all of you for that. So we are going to continue our series that we began uh, a, two Sundays ago that we're calling Baggage. And, and we're, we're talking about just all the, the things that each one of us carry. We each have things from our past, things we're not proud of, things that we've done, things that happened to us or have been said to or about us that we carry around with us all the time, that as much as we try to, to shake off, as much as we try to let go of, they just seem to continue, continually hang around. And ultimately, the baggage from our past ends up preventing us from becoming the men and women of God, becoming the people of God that God has called us to be. And last week, we talked about forgiveness. And it was a little bit of a difficult topic because, and, and it was evidenced just by conversations that we had as well, that there's things that many of you have walked through that have, you guys have walked through some really harsh and difficult and, and trying things in, in many of your lives and being able to forgive somebody for that is hard. It's difficult and it's, it's a process. And one of the major takeaways we talked about is that it takes faith to forgive. Forgiveness is an act of faith. We, we often don't feel like offering forgiveness to somebody who has hurt us or who has wronged us or, or who has wounded us. But by faith, we offer to them what God has already freely offered to us, which is forgiveness. Well, today we're going to be talking about what's probably, who is probably the most difficult person for each one of us to, to forgive, and that would be ourselves. That would be our, ourselves. You know, if, if you're like me, like, I find it really difficult to forgive myself. I, I'm really hard on myself. And, and so asking the question, like, how do we forgive ourselves when, when we've let ourselves down, when we feel like we've let God down or, or let others down, or, or maybe I've, I've hurt somebody deeply. I've wounded somebody. I did something. And it's really hard. It's really difficult at times because we know what we did. We know the things that we've said. We know the things that we've thought that we wouldn't want anybody else to, to ever know, those things that have gone through our heads. We know the things that we've said that maybe we, we didn't mean it in the moment. We just, you know, our emotions got away from us, and we said something that we just greatly regret. We know the things that, that we've thought about. And, and, and we carry around, often we carry around this guilt and this shame of these things that in our past that we regret, the things that we wish we could go back and do over again, the things we, we just can't seem to get over. And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe, maybe for you, maybe you, you drank too much one night and you did something that you just incredibly regret and you wish you could go back and do it over again, but you can't undo it. Or maybe you were a teenager or you were a young adult and you felt desperate in a moment and you made a decision that has haunted you. It's been hanging over you for, for years and years. Or, or maybe for you, you know, it, it started out with really good intentions. I wanted to go and I wanted to provide for my family. I wanted to take care of them. I wanted my family to have the things they needed. So I worked and I worked and I worked. And then all these years later, you look back and realize, man, I missed the most precious and beautiful moments of my kids' lives. Maybe for you, you were 
bored or maybe dissatisfied in, in your marriage and you betrayed your spouse and, and you have this shame that now you just can't seem to get out from under. Or maybe it's, it's a habit. Maybe it's websites that you continue to visit. You just keep going to it, the, these wrong places and, and you genuinely, like you love God, you genuinely love your spouse, but you keep going back to this one thing over and over and over again. Like, what do we do when we have a graveyard full of regrets from our past that haunts us every day and the guilt and the shame that just won't go away? How do we forgive ourselves? How do we be able to move on from all that? Like, we might have this intellectual understanding that, yeah, I know God forgives me, but I'm just having a hard time forgiving myself for what I did. And so I want to st- where I want to start this morning is acknowledging something that's really important for us to understand, and it's this idea that not all guilt is created equal. Not all guilt is created equal. There, there are some in this room today, and, and my, uh, this is something I've dealt with too, that are under something and dealing with something that I would call false guilt. False guilt. And in other words, you're feeling guilty about something that wasn't your fault. You feel guilty about something that you should not be feeling guilty for. And now an example of this might be like if you were a child and your parents ended up getting a divorce and, and you ended up blaming yourself for your parents' divorce. Well, if, if only I had been, you know, a, a better kid, I've, if I'd been a better student, if I'd just done this, well, then mom and dad would have stayed together. Like their, their divorce was not your fault. That was their decision. That, that's false guilt. And, and tragically, I've, I've come across and had conversations with multiple people time and time again who were victims of, of somebody who horribly mistreated or abused or neglected them. And what's so awful is they carry around this shame for themselves of saying, all right, I did something wrong. I brought it on myself. And, and let me emphatically tell you, it is not your fault. Don't buy into this destructive game of shaming yourself into false guilt. I, I was listening to a pastor share, um, this is a, a little while back, and he was sharing a story from his own life that he had had a friend who had passed away, or not passed away, he, he had a friend who had come into a very dark place and ended up taking his own life. And, and for years, the pastor really struggled with just this tremendous guilt of, if only I had reached out, if only I had called or, or had a conversation, if only I had done this, well, then he would still be here. That's false guilt. Like, false guilt is not from God. It's, not, it, it's dangerous, and it's never productive, e- ever. We need to be able to set that down and let that go. But false guilt is, is only one type of guilt that often we can deal with. There's actually another type of guilt that can actually be very beneficial. It's actually a gift that draws us closer to God. In fact, Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, he ends up talking about this exact thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Paul writes, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now think about that for a moment. Godly sorrow, that when it leads to repentance, brings us to repentance, leads us to salvation, it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Paul's talking about two different types of, of sorrow, two different types of guilt 
that we have. And that, that feeling of conviction, that feeling of, man, I did screw up. I did do something wrong. And I feel awful about it. That's actually a really good thing. Because it takes us off of that path that we were on. It takes us off that, that wrong path and puts us back on a path walking towards God, pursuing forgiveness, pursuing repentance. God, godly sorrow says, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to change my direction. I want to live in freedom. Godly sorrow draws us before the Lord with a heart of repentance where we can ask God for forgiveness and for healing. And this idea of godly sorrow, Paul says, it leaves no regret for us. That I, that I took it before God. I, I made it right. Or more aptly, Jesus made it right. And I don't need to be walking in regret anymore because it is under the blood. God is already taking care of it. And, and a great example of this, talking about godly sorrow, would be Peter. And we, we've talked about Peter uh, a, a number of times over the last number of months, and, and many of us in the room can probably relate to Peter. Like, Peter had a lot of great qualities about him. He had, he had, there was a lot of great things about him, but he also had a lot of big blind spots in his life as well. And th there were times that he did things, there were times that he said things that were just so on the money, and he hit him out of the park. And then there were other times where he just acted so boneheaded. And, and one of those times was shortly before Jesus was crucified, Peter comes and he has a conversation with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, hey, I, I just want you to know, I've got your back. Like, no matter what happens, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be here for you. I, I don't know, I can't speak for the rest of these jokers, these other 11 guys, but if you, if you want me, like, I'm in your corner. I've got your back no matter what. You can count on me. And Jesus, like, he sees through Peter's pride, he sees through his, brav his bravado, and, and he says to him, he, kinda, he, he actually starts prophesying to him and says, you know what, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to end up denying me three times. And, and I imagine, like, Peter's response, like, what are you even talking about? Like, that, that, that would never happen at all. But that's exactly what happened. Like, after Jesus was arrested, a little girl comes up and, and notices Peter, and she says, hey, Weren't you one of the guys that was with Jesus? Peter's like, Jesus, Jesus who? Like, I, 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 don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. And then somebody else recognizes Peter and says, Oh, you know, weren't you one of his disciples? Weren't you walking with Jesus? And, and Peter's like, I, I, I don't know what you mean. I don't know what you're talking about. I, I was at home. I was, I, I, I was watching The Mandalorian. I was doing a crossword puzzle. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then we read in Scripture about a third person who comes up and confronts Peter. And in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 59, it says, About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Can you imagine what that moment was like for Peter? That he, across the room, Jesus' eyes caught his. And he knew in a minute, wow, what Jesus said was true. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. A godly sorrow. Like I, 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 where like, I can't believe what I just did. I can't believe, like, 
oh, that, that was so stupid. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I did not mean to do that. Like, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like Peter, where you went into something with great intentions, and then you ended up doing the exact opposite? Saying, oh, you know what, I'm never going to do that again until again happens, and you end up doing it again. Like, I, you know, I love this person with all my heart, and in a moment of anger, you say something that you regret for years to come. Like we promise, you know what, I'm always going to do blank. And then I don't. Or I'm never going to do that. And then I do. Like we've all been there. Like we've all set out with great intentions and end up falling way short. And I've said to myself more times than I care to count, man, how could God love someone like me? Who blows it time and time again? Who messes up? I, don't, I never seem to get it right. I always seem to screw it up. I always fall short. And this is where it becomes really dangerous. Because in moments like this, the devil has you exactly where he wants you. The, the enemy, your spiritual enemy, has you in a corner in this moment because shame is the devil's playground. Shame is the devil's playground. Shame is where he wants you to be. And, there, and there's a big difference between godly sorrow that leads to repentance and shame that personalizes the behavior. Worldly sorrow. Let me, let me show you the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I did something bad. I was wrong. I screwed up. I did something I should not have done. And it's a good thing. Like Guilt is a good thing. Shame says, I am bad. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. It, it takes the behavior that we did, that thing that we regret, and it, and it attaches itself to our identity. And it creates this sense of shame. How many times have we heard the, the soundtrack playing over and over in our heads of saying, man, you are just pathetic. You're worthless. You're just a failure. You're hopeless. You're never going to get this right. God could never love you. He could never bless you because of what you did. You're never going to be happy. You're never going to have a good marriage. God will never be able to use you. And you will always be marked by that thing that you did. Saying you are bad. Not just I did something bad, but you are bad. Like when Jesus looked straight at Peter after he denied him that third time, like Peter was overcome with emotion, and he wept bitterly. Like, I, I can almost hear the mental conversations that Peter's having in his own head. I'm saying, man, like, you blew it. <laughs> Jesus trusted you. He needed you in this moment, and you were nowhere to be found. Of all the people Jesus could have picked, he picked you, and you failed. You let him down. Your life is over. Your ministry is over. You should be so ashamed. Have you ever had somebody say that to you before? You should be so ashamed of yourself. Like, let me tell you this. Shame drives us away from God. Shame drives us away from God. But God wants to use our guilt to draw, him to his, draw us to his grace. Like, do you see the difference? Like, shame drives us away from God. Guilt says, God, I messed up. I need you. Peter had a godly sorrow. Like, I'm so heartbroken over, over what I did. God, will you, will you forgive me? I'm not making any excuses for it. 
I own it, and, and I, but I want to be right with you again. And, and Jesus, the perfect one, he became sin for us. Why? So, so that we could experience forgiveness. So we could have forgiveness of our sins. He, he gave up his life on the cross, and three days later, when the women went to go visit the tomb, the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty so that we could be forgiven, so that we could experience God's amazing grace. And after Jesus was raised from the dead, we can read about this in John chapter 21. After he emerged from that tomb, he comes and he actually appears to Peter, the one who had failed him, the one who denied him three times just three days earlier. And he asks Peter a, a very simple question. He says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and Peter's response was, well, of course, you know that I do. Now, do, you, do you know what Jesus did not say in that moment? Jesus didn't say, I told you you were going to do that. I told you you were going to fail. I told you you were going to mess up. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to put you in, in spiritual timeout. Like, you, you need to just sit and think about this for a while. Think about what you did. Your parents ever do that to you? <laughs> you just sit and think about it. He didn't say, like, I want you to just sit and wallow in your own guilt. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And, and you know that I do. And, like, I, I can close my eyes and I can imagine what Jesus' face looked like in this moment, where, where he's face-to-face with somebody who, who denied him just a few days before. The love and the compassion that Jesus had in his eyes. And Jesus' response was, I want you to feed my sheep feed my sheep. You're forgiven. Now go and do what I created you to do. What, what you did, that thing that you did, does not disqualify you. It doesn't disqualify you from what I want you to do in the future. That thing that you regret, Peter, it doesn't take away from what I want to do in your life. That's what's so beautiful about that moment where Peter is restored. He's saying, I forgive you. Now go. You're not disqualified. You're not a mess. Yeah, you messed up. But you're not a mess. Now let me tell you what Peter didn't say when, when Jesus and Peter are having this conversation. Peter, Peter didn't say, you know what, sorry, I'm sorry, Jesus. I just can't receive your grace. Like, your grace is just not enough. It might be enough for John. It might be enough for Bar- Bartholomew but it's just not enough for me. Now, he acknowledged this, and he, he repented. He received the grace and forgiveness of God. And, and so I don't know what it is that you're holding on to. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know that thing that you did that you just feel completely overwhelmed and riddled with guilt about from all those years ago. Something that you did that you shouldn't have, something you wish to this day you could go back and undo. But if you've confessed it to Jesus, it's forgiven. It's forgiven. It's time to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Like, for those of you that are afraid I'm going to break into a Disney song, it's not going to happen, I promise. You, you don't want me to belt that out. But it is time to put it down, whatever it is, whatever that piece of baggage that you've been dragging along, that regret and that shame, it's time for you to set it down and let it go. You've been forgiven. 
Stop carrying that shame around with you. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of, and, uh, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Everything. Not just some. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't let the pain of your past rob you from God's calling in your future. Like, imagine what would have happened had Peter wallowed in his own shame. Had, had he, you know, rejected what Jesus was trying to do. He would never have been able to walk into the calling that God had for him. He would never have been the leader of, of the early church in Jerusalem had he just let his guilt and his shame overwhelm him. Like, he, you can't go back and change your past. You can't go and undo what was done. But we can allow God to change our future if we let it go. Let it go. You betrayed someone? Let it go. And spend the rest of your life being faithful now. You wasted years struggling with addiction? Let it go. And spend your life living in freedom, helping others. You let God down, let others down, let yourself down. Stop picking it back up and let it go. Stop living in the past and walking in the future. Guilt and shame is living life looking at your rearview mirror all the time. But living in freedom is looking through the windshield. This is where I'm going. And think about what happened just a few weeks later. Peter and Jesus, they have this conversation and just a, a couple weeks later on the day of Pentecost, who was the guest, the guest speaker? Who was the one that preached the house down and 3,000 people got saved? It was Peter. It was his message on, on Pentecost. And his message was so simple. It was repent, turn, turn away, call on the name of Jesus and walk in a new direction. Like I imagine when Peter was sharing that message on the day of Pentecost, that's what he was thinking about. When I denied Jesus, when I failed miserably, I repented and I came to Jesus and he forgave me in that moment. Peter was not chosen because he was faithful. He was chosen because he was forgiven. God chose him. Jesus chose him because he had experienced God's grace. You are not what you did. You are not what you did. You are not the sum total of your worst day, the worst thing you ever did. That's not who you are. It might have been something you did, but it's not who you are, that you are a child of God. That was, that was a bad page. That was a bad chapter in my life. But God is not done writing the story. God's not finished yet. Regardless of, of your past, Jesus is not done with you. He's not done with you. Paul writes in Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not finished with you yet. That thing you did does not disqualify you. But he's going to carry it on. The thing that God's began inside of you, he's going to carry it on until the day of completion. But we have to let it go. Let the past stay in the past. Now I want to encourage you with one final thing this morning. That, that if you've been experiencing guilt and shame and, and regret, like I, I get it. 
I mean, it, it is a natural part of our human existence. And, and it goes all the way back. It actually starts back in the book of Genesis. The very first sin with Adam and Eve in the garden. Like Adam and Eve, they were there, and, and God gave them just one rule as they were in the Garden of Eden. He said, you, you can do whatever you want, you can eat whatever you want, but the one thing I ask is you not to eat from the fruit, not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing I'm asking. And the serpent comes and tempts Eve, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sounds of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He, and Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The very first sin, what, what did their sin cause them to do? Adam and Eve were ashamed, so they hid from God. They were ashamed, and so they hid. That's, that's what shame does. Shame drives us away from God, who created us, who loves us like no other. Now, Adam and Eve, like, they experience consequences for their decision. Like the grace and the forgiveness of God, it doesn't absolve us from every earthly consequence that there is. But that wasn't the end of the story, though. Like in, in, in that moment, when, when they disobeyed God, God actually began and initiated his rescue plan for humankind. Right there in that moment, he started something that continued until Jesus. In, in Genesis chapter 3, skipping forward a few verses to verse 21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed, clothed them first blood sacrifice took place that would literally cover over their sin. That even in their disobedience, God went to work. In their dis when, when, they, when they messed up, God said, all right, I'm going to help. I'm going to provide a way. God did for them what they couldn't do for themselves, and the animal skins that he gave them, they covered over their shame and their nakedness. That was just the first step in God's redemption plan. But the last step was when he sent his son Jesus, being the final sacrifice, that when we believe in him, that we are made right with God. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Pointing his finger. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That when we've been made right with God, our sin, our mess, and our past, it is under the blood of Jesus. And we need to stop picking it back up. It's already been paid for. We don't need to keep paying for it now. It's already been dealt with. We don't need to keep dealing with it now. When we've been forgiven, we just need to let it go. Jesus is not condemning you. So stop condemning yourself. Stop beating yourself up. 
Stop feeling like you have some penance to pay. You've received the free gift of grace. It's under the blood. He paid far too high a price and shed way too much blood for you to pick that sin up that you've already been forgiven for. We need to choose to let it go. To let it go. So I'm going to close our service today. I'm going to ask you to grab your communion elements. This feels like an appropriate time for us to take communion. If you would, would you, would you stand as we take communion here together? You can peel the top part and, and pull the, the bread out, which represents the, the body of Christ that was broken for each one of us. As we, as we take this bread, let's just be grateful and thankful for Jesus' body that was broken for every one of us. Let's take the bread together right now. Lord, thank you for your body. It was bloody and broken for each one of us. You endured things that you didn't deserve and took what we deserved. And now let's take the cup together as well that represents Jesus' blood. Lord, thank you for your blood that was shed for each one of us that we could experience forgiveness, that we could experience salvation, Lord. God, we are so very thankful for you. And, and Lord, I am, I'm just, I'm praying for my church family here this morning. Lord, that as we experience your amazing grace, God, the, the things that we did, the things that we feel guilt and shame and regret over, Lord, that we would be able to let those things go, to drop them at the altar, Lord, that, that we don't need to keep picking those things back up. We have been freed. We have been forgiven. And we don't need to keep walking around with this yoke of, of shame over our necks all the time. Yeah, we can look back and, and there's things we wish we could undo. But our past is in the past, Lord, that you have called us into a future with you. And in the same way, God, that you restored Peter that Peter experienced godly sorrow and you restored him back to you once again. And you said, feed my sheep. I'm not done with you yet, Peter. I still have great things in store for you. In spite of what you did, I still have amazing things I want you to do. God, that we would receive that today for us. That in spite of the things we've done, in spite of our past, in spite of the things that we are not proud of and that we have regrets over, Lord, that you are saying, I'm not done with you yet. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Lord, I pray for my church family, those who are in the room today that are struggling with forgiving themselves. That there's legitimate things that they're, they feel shame, they feel regret over. Lord, that you would just give us a divine revelation of, of knowing and understanding, God, that it has already been paid for. That we don't have to keep picking it up. We don't have to keep being punished for those things, Lord. You already bore that punishment for us. And so, God, in faith today, we let it go. We set it down. God, that we could walk in and experience your grace and your freedom like never before. God, let that freedom reign in this room, in this church, in our family right now today. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.